we are going to um, pray right now. There are pressing needs all around us, all around us. Um, I think about sometimes when I come up here, things that I maybe should pray about, um, but the list gets really long. <laughs> and then it's like, well, what do you pray about? What do you not pray about? There's so many things that are happening in so many difficult situations. I mean, I, I literally can't get from the car to the back room before I hear one or two new things that I didn't know earlier. Um, in fact, I'm about to take my watch off because I'm getting group me prayer requests, which is okay, but I don't want, I can't have that right now. Um, and that's kind of the timing of stuff. It's like before our service ends, there'll be things that are happening. So things are happening. And, uh, but in that regard and in that spirit, uh, this pastor, this precious man, and if you didn't know that Haiti is the poorest nation in, in that hemisphere, I don't know if you're aware of that, there is a distinct difference between life in Haiti and life in the Dominican Republic, which is on the other side of it. It's amazing. Um, and so here they go again with another tragedy. And men, uh, women too, some of you might feel the call to disaster relief. Uh, there's the guy. He's, he's one of the leaders uh, of that movement in our, in our denomination. So if that's something that you feel like God might have pressed on your heart, get in touch with Pastor Richard. But we want to pray for Haiti and um, uh, pray for just um, what, uh, what, God, um, um, what God can do in that nation uh, through believers in Jesus Christ and through his mighty strength. And so, Father, we have... We have heard the plea from a brother. Um, we will consider him a dear brother uh, who has asked for prayers and asked for support of any kind. And I thank you that we have the ability to help in, in tangible ways. We, um, we pray, Father, for relief. We pray for strength for families. Um, Lord, we pray for provision, things like water and food. Uh, that tend to get really, really short in times like this. Lord, we pray that your church would be busy being your hands and your feet. We pray for endurance, for them to have to go through something that, um, you know, for us is, is we, we, see, we see natural disasters in our nation, but we don't see them as much here. Um, and, and yet it affects all of us. And so, uh, Lord, we are told to bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. And Father, if we can, um, if we can be helpful in a, in a practical way, we would ask you to show us that at the minimum, Lord, we continue to pray for this pastor and our brothers and sisters in, in Haiti and uh, for your grace and your strength. And so, Lord, we, we lift these things up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for that. Thank you, Pastor Richard, for your passion. What a, what a treasure it is to have, to have that as a part of our, our church family. And so um, I would also like to say that next week, Pastor Richard will not be here. One of the, one of the uh, uh, benefits, if you would, of his, of his ministry is that, uh, you know, we're able to lend him out to missions conferences and, and things like that. And so uh, there's a missions conference next weekend in Huntington Beach. And so how many of you want to go to Huntington Beach for a missions conference? I'm, I'm like, I'm, 
Yeah, right? <laughs> so we'll be sure and praying for you, brother, while you're, you know, gutting it out at 76 degrees, you know, in uh, Huntington Beach. Hey, I want to give you an update on, um, a, a very short update on our building process. Um, you may or may not be aware that um, materials prices have gone through the roof. Uh, and if you're in construction in any kind of way, like uh, you know that, and you've had your share of that cost that much. <laughs> and so uh, I want to show you, first of all, where our, um, our capital campaign is. And so this is our handy dandy thermometer um, at... As of uh, August, um, well, I'll, I'll start with the pledges that have, that have been pledged, and that's since uh, or, or when we had our meeting in um, whatever, in, in January, end of January. Uh, there was $86,945 pledged towards the 300000 that we're trying to raise, and so, so far, 46868 uh, dollars have come in um, as of August the 12th. So we say amen to that, Lord. Thank you for that. Um, we have had a very busy summer. Uh, so there's been other uh, finances that have come in through fundraisers and through other donations. There are people who are giving who are not part of the capital campaign. And so that's a, that total is another $47,332. And so all of that to say that since March 21st, specifically for the building fund, be it the campaign or people who have just been generous and been giving. We've got uh, $94,200 that we have raised. And so, uh, yeah, that, that's pretty good, right? Um, yeah, so uh, I want to thank you, all of you who have been giving, and I want to encourage all of you uh, to continue in your giving. And um, uh, yeah, we're, we're, our goal is, is, you know, by January, but really by the end of the year to have $300,000 raised, and that's going to help significantly towards uh, our building expenses. Uh, another thing that's happened is there's a gentleman who uh, used to be a part of our church. He's actually still a part of our church. Andrew, if you're watching, what's up, brother? And he has a company in town that deals with, I'll just say, alternative building materials, and one of that is foam block. Uh, and it is a very, very high insulation rate. It is something that is um, very green. In fact, it is a, a, a process that can save up to 60%, 60 to 70% on energy costs uh, for steel, over a steel building. And it, it, when you build a building, your biggest expense aside from your mortgage is your energy cost. It costs a lot of money to cool a building down in 115 degrees or to heat it for that matter, though it's not quite as much. And so, uh, you know, we're looking at some alternative building supplies. And so if, that, if that's something that works out, that would be a total God thing. It really could be a game changer. I'll keep you posted on that. And um, uh, it, it'll cost less. That's the whole reason. And not only will it be energy efficient, which is something we want to pass on to the next generation, but it is also something that could get us in a lot sooner and it could cost less. And so we're processing all of that right now. And so um, we are continuing. I want to thank the fundraising team for their efforts to continue to think of creative ways for us to raise funds. And, and I do want to thank all of you who just labored so diligently uh, this summer, whether it be the garage sale, uh, about some $5,000 that brought in, or our fireworks booth that brought in, minus some fees and some other expenditures, right around $28,000. And so, uh, 
Yeah, that's significant stuff. And, um, you know, we got a long way to go, though, church, you know, but you know what? We, uh, we, uh, we, are, we, we ain't tired yet, and we're still pursuing the Lord. And remembering why we're doing this is this, uh, not just so we can have our own place. Okay, that's not the reason. Uh, we believe that that's an area that we can really truly minister in. Uh, we believe that having our own place will be a place that can be a place of healing in the neighborhood, uh, in the schools that are nearby, in the neighborhood that's nearby. Uh, we believe that uh, children really, really matter. Uh, our goal is within one year of opening our doors, having a pre-K uh, that we can invite the community into uh, because we believe that uh, children really, really matter to God. And, uh, uh, you know, you bless kids in the name of Jesus, God will bless you. Now, we're not trying to negotiate with God here, but we do really care about kids. And, and we've told you about our vacation Bible school and how, how amazing that was. And I believe that was like a, like a portent of things to come. Uh, I believe that our, our vacation Bible school, God just said, you know what, that, I'm going to just bless that. And, but, but, but that's just like a, like a deposit of what's coming. And so we, we're believing God for that and not twisting his arm because we believe it's what he wants to do anyway. Can you say amen to that? Amen. amen. And so uh, <clears throat> we are um, um, back in. So, yeah, that we're, thank you for your generosity and that we continue to press on. I'll continue to give you updates. Um, if you'd like to look at the website, and again, we're, we're, pro, we're, 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 this is not a guaranteed thing for this building material, but it's gigacrete.com, uh, gigacrete.com. G-I-G-A, uh, gigacrete.com. Check it out. You know, we'll see. We'll see what God has. The owner is definitely born again and has a very, very rich history here in Las Vegas. Um, so I'll leave you with that. Um, <clears throat> we are back in the book of uh, Judges. And um, I, I, I would say to you that our study, at least toward the tail end of this book, has been painful. Uh, it's been hard uh, because it because it it makes it makes me stop and think about my own life and the word of God is designed to do that. It's uh, it is historical and um, it is God's word uh, and and the stories that are written are written as uh, an example for us. So they're stories that we can learn by uh, or learn through. And the word of God is applicable today. Uh, even though we might read a story that's 3,000 years old, it is still applicable today. And not only that, God confirms his word through things like modern archaeology as they continue to dig in Israel and they continue to find things that are mentioned even in the book of Judges. And we'll talk about some of that a little bit later. Before Israel goes into captivity, and if you've been reading with us through our... our um, uh, the um, uh, the Bible, uh, what's it called? Bible recap. Uh, is that what it is? The Bi- yeah, the Bible recap. Um, we're in Jeremiah. I don't know if we still are, but and Jeremiah is is that covenant attorney who who had to preach to the people of Judah, the southern kingdom, that uh, captivity was coming. In the midst of their celebrating, in the midst of their claiming to be right with God, they were out of a line with God. They had they had sinned so much that God said, "That's it. It's happening." You. Uh, and, and there's one scripture, I, it, he says, even if, even if Moses, and uh, I think he says, Elijah, I'm not sure, even if Moses uh, uh, interceded for you, I would not change my mind. And, and, and so, so in, before the captivity happens, this is what God says in Jeremiah 9. Uh, it, he says in, in verse uh, 12, why has the land been so ruined that no one dares to travel through it? 
Verse 13, the Lord replies, This has happened because my people have abandoned my instructions. They have refused to obey what I said. Instead, they have stubbornly followed their own desires and worshipped the images of Baal as their ancestors taught them. Okay? Okay, so, so back up all the way to the book of Judges. All right? And, and, and we see where that ends up. But I want to continue in this. Remember the key theme of Judges, of the, I believe the entire book, is Judges chapter 17, verse 6 that says, And there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Okay? So let me talk to you briefly about distinctions. That's a word that you hear from me over and over again. In the book of Genesis... Is a, the book of Genesis is a book of distinctions. Uh, when we went through the book of Joshua, we constantly saw the distinctions between the people of God and the people who didn't follow God, the people uh, in the land. We, we saw distinctions between how God operated and how their gods operated. Uh, consistently, we see that our God is a God of distinctions. Okay? He has... A, 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 he has designed culture, designed the world, designed the universe to be that way. And so distinctions are set by God, and yet man, because of his idolatrous heart, uh, tries to remove the distinctions that are set by God. Let me give an example. In her uh, um, uh, speech, gender, uh, her book, Gender Ideology, uh, run amok. Abigail Schreier says this. In 2007, America had one pediatric gender clinic. Today, there are hundreds. Testosterone is readily available to adolescents from places like Planned Parenthood and Kaiser, often on the first visit, without even a therapist's note. How did we get to this point? How is it that we are all supposed to pretend that the only way you know I'm a woman is if I tell you my, my pronouns? How did we get to an America in which a 13-year-old in the state of Washington can begin gender-affirming therapy without her parents' consent? How did we get to an America in which a 15-year-old in Oregon can undergo top surgery, that is, elective double mastectomy, without her parents' permission? Watch out for those who would redefine the distinctions that God has set. Watch out. You hear it all the time. Political appointees, those in political office, those in education office, those that are leaders in society, and some be careful for those who would remove the distinctions that God has made and try to redefine Genesis. The first six chapters of the Bible set the tone for every belief system. It says in chapter 1, verse 26, Then God says, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish, the sea, the birds of the air, over the cattle, over the earth, and every creeping thing on the earth. Verse 27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. 
We are the only species that ask questions like this. What does it mean to be human? Our society is redefining what God says it it means to be human. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? There There are various idols within our nation that we worship at, that some worship at. One of those is the idol of abortion rights. It's not so much the idolatry of abortion, it is about abortion rights. And it takes dead aim at the most vulnerable in our society and it destroys one created in the image of God. It tries to redefine the question, what does it mean to be human, to think that we as rational thinkers would begin to believe that that inside the womb is not a human. And it's a redefinition. We redefine what does it mean to be male or female. In the idol of transgender rights attempts to redefine what it means to be male or female. What does it mean to become one flesh in the covenant of marriage? In the idol of homosexual rights, it attempts to redefine the creative order designed by God, male and female in covenant for life. Be careful when someone tries to redesign or redefine the distinctions in Genesis set by God. We were watching a movie because we wanted to see a movie. It's a Disney movie. We felt it would be safe to watch. Jungle Cruise. The exciting movie started off really good, ended really bad. It was like, okay, whatever. It's one of those movies you pay to watch and before it's over, you're like, okay, I'm done with this. This is just getting ridiculous. Well, in it, McGregor tells Frank about how he had to say no to a woman that someone wanted him to marry. And they have this conversation where he says that his interest lied elsewhere. And Frank says, your interest lied lied elsewhere? Yes. And then he said that he would be disinherited, disinherited and completely ostracized from society if people knew where his interest lied. And it was obviously a reference to his homosexuality, because in the movie, the man is incredibly feminine. And he created man in his image. In his image, he created them male and female. There are other examples that we won't take the time to get into. Watch out, church, when society tries to redefine the distinctions that God created in Genesis. Those distinctions are worth fighting for. What does it mean to be human is worth fighting for. What does it mean to be male and female? What does it mean to be one flesh in the covenant of marriage? Judges chapter 17, verse 6 says, In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Last week we looked at a man named Micah who sets up his own religious system. 
And he thinks it's okay with God. He determines for himself how he'll, how he'll worship God. Uh, he, he has his own uh, chaplain, uh, uh, a Levite or priest. Uh, he has his own idols. Uh, he determines the own place where he'll, where he'll worship. It says in verse 13 of chapter 17, Micah said, Now I know the Lord will be good to me since I have a Levite as priest. Uh, he makes the mistake of believing that, uh, that he can approach God on his own terms. Uh, we have to be careful with belief systems. We have to say, what is the basis for that? And, and, and why should we believe that? Is, is that in fact true? And why should we believe that? You can always test a religious system or religious be, uh, uh, a belief based on how it was founded. If you want to know the truth about a religious system or belief system, go back to the originators. Ask who began this and what kind of life did they live and compare that to Jesus Christ. He believes what he is doing will make him righteous. However, it actually is a sin and will separate him from God. Because we err when we think we will be righteous in God's sight by being a good person. And we make up our own definition of what it means to be good. I've asked hundreds of people that question. Even if you say, are you a good person? They might say, well, it all depends. Depends on who you compare me to. Uh, we err when we think we, we will be righteous in God's sight by simply believing the golden rule. You know, do unto others as they will do unto you. I try to treat people right, and that should be good enough to get into heaven. You know, if there's a heaven, I'm sure I'll get there, even though I have no real basis or no real logical reason for how. I just kind of hope that there's something up there, and when I die, I'll get there because I hope that's what happens. Or I go to church, and therefore I know I'm going to go to heaven. Or as one man told me when I asked him if he died, if he was sure he'd go to heaven, he said, absolutely. And I was surprised at how confident he was. And he says, I said, well, how are you so sure of that? He goes, because, man, I, my priest has got my back. I said, no, man, no. Well, 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 tell me about your priest. Is he a good man? Is he a bad man? And how do you know? I mean, is your priest a sinner? What? The essence of false religion is that I can make myself righteous and acceptable to God on my terms by following a set of rules and regulations. If I do this, if I do that, if I do this, if I do that, and here's the thing, built into it, it is never good enough. Because if you ever think that you're good enough to go and be with God, be based on a set of circumstances, you will stop participating in those circumstances. But false religion is designed to keep you coming back to them for everything. They will tell you what the Bible says. They will redefine what Genesis says. They will dictate the terms of salvation. They will multiply the terms of salvation. And they will say Jesus is much less than who all those Christians say that he is. They will do it every time. They will subtract from the Trinity. They will multiply the terms of salvation. And they will divide the body of Christ and separate people. And it's determining for myself. Genesis chapter 2, verse 4, The serpent said to the woman, you will, not, you will not surely die. For God knows in the day that you eat of it, the tree, uh, the fruit on the tree, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. And that is the core issue. People determining for themselves right 
and wrong distinction, known distinction, what we want to believe about God. It is deception uh, that I can decide for myself good and evil and that I'm okay. It is deception that I can decide for myself good and evil because I'm always going to lower the bar enough so that I can get over it easily. And it's going to allow me to live my life the way that I want to live. And I'm okay? Listen, let me tell you about me. I don't know about you. And I know second service, but I don't know about y'all. I'm hopelessly and helplessly lost. I've broken all of God's laws more times than I can even remember. I, I have broken his laws in what I've done. I've broken his laws in what I've said. And I've broken his laws in what I've thought in every conceivable way that I could break God's commandments. All of them, I have done it repeatedly my whole life. And because of that, I cannot stand before a holy, righteous God and claim to be good or claim to be righteous or say, I did some good things, God, and surely my good will outweigh my bad when I am guilty of cosmic sin. And there's nothing I can... I've, I've betrayed the God of all eternity. That's me. I don't know about you, and I'm sure second service, I'm going to get some amens on that, but that's me. And I'll tell you the truth that no religious system can make me right before God. No amount of do's and don'ts or go there or go, don't do this, don't do that, can't you read this? None of that stuff is going to help me. None of it. None of it. And I can spend my whole life trying to make myself righteous before God. And at the end of my life, with my last breath, I will realize that I have failed miserably and I'm doomed to hell for all eternity because a holy God cannot be in the presence of sin, which I am a sinner. That's me. And if it wasn't for the grace of God who reached down and said, you know what, he's a wretch. He's a liar, he's a cheater, he viol- he's boastful, he's proud, he's arrogant, he acts like God don't even exist, but we see something in him that's a virtue and a value, and we love him in spite of himself, and we're going to call him up to heaven even now, so that when he, we're going to open his eyes to the foolishness of his life to the craziness. We have spared his life up to this point and the, oh, oh, the whole purpose is is so that his eyes would be open and he would see the glory of the glorious light of Jesus Christ. And to think that some religious system could do that for me. I, I don't judge anyone who's in that system because I know what it's like to be in it. And it doesn't matter what the system is. But they all fall short of the glory of God. Back to Judges. Judges in chapter 17 is confusing. So Micah believes that God will bless him. Let me get this straight. You've got a Levite who's out of line with God leading a man-made religion that you made up financed by you stealing some money from your mama who you gave back to your mama and she took some of that money and bought you some idols which God forbids us to worship in Exodus chapter 20 in a place where God told you not to do it and you think God's going to bless you because of that? Let me tell you about the tribe of Dan. 
We're moving into chapter 18. I got to lay a foundation for objectively, societally, something that you can apply to where we are right now, and then we get into the scriptures. The tribe of Dan had been given an allotment according to the book of Joshua, uh, but they didn't occupy the land. Uh, there were Philistines in the land. They weren't able to drive them out. And so this land that God had allotted to them between Zorah and Eshtal, the area of Samson, came from the hills of Judah, close to what we would call Tel Aviv today. This is a land that they've got their eye on. Uh, it's got beaches. So you say amen to that. I mean, they're, ten, they're, they're not too far from the beach. And, and they're in northern Israel. It's a, it's a beautiful... Now, now for whatever... They, they, don't, they don't move the people out of the land God gave them. This is the land they want. Okay, so, so that's the context. Chapter 18, verse 1 says, In those days, there was no king in Israel. Why is that repeated so much? Because it's important to keep that in our minds. And in those days, the the tribe of the Danites was seeking an inheritance for itself to dwell in. uh, For until that day, their inheritance among the tribes of Israel had not fallen to them. So the children of Dan sent five men of their family from their territory, men of valor from Zorah and Eshtal, to spy out the land and search it out. Here's the key thing. It says, the Danites are seeking an inheritance for themselves to to dwell in. Wait a second. Didn't God give them an inheritance? Didn't God define through Joshua and the elders, the priests, didn't God define the boundaries for each of the tribes? And didn't the Danites get a plot of land that was given to them by God? Yes, they did. But because of covetousness, because of a violation of the 10th commandment, that says don't covet anything, don't have a strong desire for anything that's not yours, It's funny, you read the Ten Commandments and it starts off with God and then it goes to interpersonal relationships and it's almost like God just draws a line and says, just don't covet because covetousness leads to each one of these. If you don't covet, you won't do this. God never intended Dan to get a different place other than the land that he had already given them. It's not good. They end up in the house of Micah and they recognize the voice of the Levite. Maybe they recognize his dialect. Hey, boy, you ain't from here, are you? No, I'm a Levite. What you doing here? Ah. Verse 3 says, they they say to to the Levite, what are you doing in this place? And what do you have here? Oh, do you think maybe in that God is reaching out to, to this man? And, and sometimes I, I thank God for the times he brings a word or he brings someone, maybe someone who, who asks you like, hey, 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 man. Hey, wait a minute, wait, wait. Maybe someone you haven't seen in a while or maybe someone you don't even know when they say, hey, you know, maybe there's a conversation. They go, aren't you a pastor? Yeah. Well, then what are you doing here? Ooh. Now, again, second service, they're going to be, ooh, amen, and, and sound booth jumping up and down. And, and, and have, you ever, have you ever been in a place where you should not have been, and God sent someone to you, and they spoke to you, and you know it was like Jesus Christ was speaking to you? No? Okay. Okay. That's God's grace. He's trying to bring him back. 
And he brings these Danites who were not in line with God to say, man, what are you doing here? What are you doing? Oh, if only he would have had a moment of sanity and re- like the prodigal son where it says after he spent all of his father's fortune and just destroyed the family name and totally disrespected his family and he's doing the absolute worst thing he can possibly be doing. He's eating what pigs are eating and he's ten- that's the only job he can get because no one's going to hire this filthy Jewish boy and he's tending the pigs and finally it says he comes to his senses and says, oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I can be a slave in my daddy's house and be better than this. And what does he do? He, does, he makes the hardest decision of his life. He gets up and he takes one step. And sometimes that step is the hardest step. You ever took one step? Oh, praise God for the one step. Take, he took the one step that led him back home. I just want to encourage you people, if you have not taken that one step, what's holding you back? Come to your senses. Take that step. Well, verse 5 says, So they said to him, Please inquire of God and how we may know whether the journey on which we will go will be prosperous. And the priest said to them, Go in peace. The presence of the Lord be with you on your way. Really? They should have known this Levite was not in a good place. They should never have asked him for the Lord's direction because they, should, they knew the scriptures, they knew the admonition from Joshua, and they knew, hey man, you are not supposed to be here doing what you're doing, but they didn't care. So what does he do? He tells them what they want to hear. The tabernacle, the central place of worship, is the place they should have gone to, and that wasn't very far. It was a few miles north. That's where they should have gone, but oh, this is so much more convenient Because man-made religion makes things convenient for you at the beginning, then it becomes a snare to you that you can't get out of or that's difficult to get out of. He prophesies that the presence of the Lord is with them. The Lord is not with them. He's a Levite for hire. He knows nothing about the word of the Lord. Nothing. He's a false prophet. He's a fake priest. He's He's a priest for hire. That's not the person you go to for a word of the Lord. He tells them what they want to hear. They send out five spies. They end up 100 miles northeast, the farthest part of the north, to a quiet place called Laish. Verse 7 says, So the five men, these spies, left Micah and they, they, they went to Laish. And they saw the people who were there, how they dwelt safely in a manner of the Sidonians, quiet and secure. There were no rulers in the land who might put them to shame for anything. They were far from the Sidonians, and they had no ties with anyone. Listen, they are an isolated group in a beautiful piece of land. Beautiful. And they have no protection. And verse 8 says, Then the spies came back to their brethren of Zorah and Eshtal, and, and their brethren said to them, What is your report? And they said, Arise, let us go up against them, for we have seen the land indeed is a very good land. Uh, 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 would you do nothing? Do not hesitate to go and enter and possess the land. When you go, you will come to a secure people and a large land, for God has given it into your hands, a place where there is no lack of anything that is on the earth. It's occupied by the Sidonians. They're not Jewish. Joshua 13.4 says that they were told to drive them out of the land. They obviously didn't. It's a beautiful land. There are three natural springs that feed into the Jordan River. One of them comes from this place. Oh, it's lush. 
Perhaps they thought God was leading them because of the circumstances. I mean, think about it. We have this beautiful land. It's unwalled. God told, the Levite tells us that God is, has, has going to bless us. What are we waiting for? Of course this is God. Look at the circumstances. It's not God. This is why we must be careful that we do not rely completely on circumstances. Because sometimes the enemy sets up circumstances that match with what I want in my heart. That's not what God wants. And I can convince myself to say, it must be God. Look at the circumstances. God works through circumstances, but it takes discernment to know just because it circumstantially looks good doesn't mean it is good. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Come on, you all have made that mistake. I know you have. Second service is going to be amening and high-fiving and repenting. Let's go. It's not right. Here's why. They prefer to choose their own land rather than take the land that God gave them. There was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Had they chosen to fight for the land that God gave them, God would have given them victory. They would have been able to participate in fighting for what God had given them. They would have had the blessing that they could have passed on to their children and their children's children and their children's children who would have had the testimony of saying, remember what God did. Yes, we heard the stories of our grandfathers and our great-great-great, how they fought for this land and how the enemy was against them, but God showed up. Oh, they missed an opportunity to be a blessing to the next generation because they didn't depend on God, but they did what was right in their own eyes. They would have the peace of knowing that they were in the place God had chosen for them. They missed the miracle that God would have done, could have done in exchange for what they could do on their own. Verse 10 says, For God has given it into your hands, a place where there is no lack of anything that is on the earth. And it's interesting that with their eyes, they saw a place that had no lack, that was beautiful. But with their heart, they missed the provision of God that would have been even more beautiful. They settled for what their eyes saw as suitable. They settled for this, this piece of property, this piece of land, this piece of, where God had so much more that he could have done through them had they trusted in him. Five spies, as they make their way back, they assemble an army of 600 people and they, the five spies uh, <clears throat> remind them as they're on their way to take this land that this man Micah has got an ephod. It's a holy garment. He's got a Levite, <clears throat> and he's got some household idols. And they're like, what? Oh, yeah, we saw it. And they go in and they take him. And the priest sees them and says, hey, what are you doing? This is what they respond to him, verse 19. They basically go, you got a problem? What's your problem? You got one, we got 600. What's your problem? We don't have a problem, do we? That's not what he said. They said to him, be quiet, put your hand over your mouth and come with us. Be a father and a priest to us. Is it, better for you, is it better for you to be a priest to a household of one man or that you be a priest to a tribe and a family in Israel? So the priest's heart was glad. He was in it for himself. He was in it for the financial gain. He was in it for the notoriety. His heart was glad. He took the ephod, the household idols, the carved image, and he took his place among the people. That was fast. Well, that didn't last very long. Hey, Micah, 
Where's your priest, man? I don't even know, man. In fact, somebody stole my idols. My gods. Someone ripped off my gods. Micah says to these people, You have taken away my gods, which I made, and the priest, and you have gone away. Now what more do I have? How can you say to me what ails you? Because he shows up and they're like, what's your problem, man? He goes, what's my problem? Y'all took my gods. You stole my gods. And my ephod, my idols, gone. Them things wasn't cheap, man. Besides, that's who I worship. And you stole my gods that I worship. You just picked them up and you carted them off. What an irony. Don't worship a God that can be taken from you. I think that may be the most profound thing I've said all week long. Don't worship a God that can be stolen from you. Jesus said this way in Matthew chapter 6. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy. Thieves don't break in and steal. And then he says this, and this is the problem that the Danites had. He says, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. That's the issue. See, it turns out the Danites had a heart problem. Micah had a heart problem because he, he put his affection, his, he based his life around things that thieves could break in and steal. His entire religious worship system crumbled in a nanosecond because it wasn't based on truth. And wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be. Judges chapter 10, verse 14, God is speaking to his people and he's had enough. And they're in a war and they're losing bad. And he says to them, go and cry out to the gods which you have chosen. Let them deliver you in your time of distress. And they cry out to God, oh God, we're so sorry. Number one, it says they put away their foreign gods. Because repentance is always followed by action. If there's repentance and no action, you question whether the repentance is real. Repentance always leads to action. They cried out to God, that's good, but then they put away their false idols. And then it says they serve the Lord. That's the remedy for idolatry. Cry out to God, put away your false idols, and serve the Lord. That's the remedy. Cry out to God, Put away your idols. Get rid of them. Make major changes. Do whatever you have to do. I once told a man who had a massive pornography issue that led into extramarital affairs. And I said to him, are you willing to do whatever it takes because this is an idol in your life? 
Yes. Successful business. Making decent amounts of money. And I said, there's a place in Kentucky that I just heard about. Go for six months. Sell everything. Put it in some... Let... Let your business die to save your marriage. You told me you would do whatever it takes. And he looked at me and said, I can't do that. Okay. Okay. Remind me to tell you how that ended up. Or do you already know? They take the land, the Danites do. This was not God's prescription. In one sense, these are innocent people. They're not a warlike people. They may not even have a walled city. They're living in peace. They take the city. It says the children of Dan in verse 30, uh, well, they, they took the city. They, who knows, probably killed everyone in the city. It says this. Uh, we're concluding on these things. Then the children of Dan set up for themselves the carved image. And Jonathan, the son of Gershom, the son of Manasseh, and his sons were priests to the tribe of Dan until the day of the captivity of the land. Hundreds of years later. So they set up, set up for themselves Micah's carved image, which he made all the time that the house of God was in Shiloh. Okay. Okay. Let me finish up. Stay with me. Stay with me. <clears throat> the carved image is set up so that it can be worshipped. They steal the idols from Micah. and they put it in their house of worship, and then they bow down to it. Apparently, this idol is not God enough to protect himself from theft. You would think if your God was all-powerful, no one could steal him. Genesis chapter 49, Jacob Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, he has 12 sons. And near his death, he speaks a word of prophecy over them. He, he, he calls his sons near, and, he, and he, he's, he, he speaks to each one of them individually, and he prophesies what's to come. And it's remarkable. So Dan, his son, who's the father of the Danites, Dan comes to him, and this is what he says. Genesis 49, verse 17. Dan shall be a serpent by the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels so that its rider shall fall backwards. It says that Dan will be a, a judge over his people. And then this serpent on the way, viper by the path, bites the horse's heels so that its rider shall fall backwards. Dan did judge their people. In fact, Samson was from the tribe of Dan. He judged. 
the nation in one respect. Dan shall be a serpent by the way that bites the heel of the rider so that he falls backwards. It could be that's a reference to Samson's battle with the Philistines, but it's much more likely that it's referencing that they are the ones who will introduce idolatry to Israel and make it, a, a, for them, a, a tribal religious system. When, fast forward to 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 26 through 30. Uh, remember when, the, when Israel splits between the north and the south and you have Jeroboam and you have Rehoboam in the south? Remember, the Danites are in the north, right? So, so what does uh, Jehoram uh, do? He sets up idols of worship in the city of Dan so that the people wouldn't go to the south to worship, to the prescribed place of the temple. He sets up two golden calves, and one of them is right there in the center of idolatry. Dan, very interestingly, is left out of the listings of the 12 tribes of Israel in Revelation chapter 7, verse 5 through 8. 144,000 in time uh, Jewish evangelists that go out throughout the entire world. Guess what tribe isn't mentioned? Dan. And I want to say this. All the time, the scripture says, the house of God was in Shiloh. It's like a footnote. We hear the story of the Danites and, the, and, and, and all the time, the house of God was right there. They never went to it. John Krakauer's book, Into Thin Air, speaks of the hazards that plagued the climbers in their attempt to reach Mount Everest in 1996. That year, there was a tremendous loss of life. Some of it, which there always is, not tremendous, but there's always a loss of life. Some of it was because of circumstances beyond the climber's control. Some of it was because of their own issues. See, listen, you, you have to respect God's creation. <laughs> if you're going to climb uh, uh, Mount Everest, you had better respect the guidelines the distinctions. Man wasn't meant to live up there. If you go scuba diving, I don't care how long you've been diving, you better respect the, the thresholds that have already been calculated and not violate them. You have to. Well, apparently there were some who unfortunately made some bad decisions. One of those was Andy Harris, who was an expedition leader, and he stayed past the peak, uh, uh, stayed at the peak past the deadline that the leaders had set for themselves. Because you can only be at that altitude so long. Just like when you scuba dive, you can only be at certain depths for so long. You can't be down there longer than the charts say you can. Because all kinds of things happen, like nitrogen narcosis, and you need to get flight for life to the nearest uh, decompression chamber, which I believe is in Malibu. Good luck with that. Well, he violated those standards the distinctions, 
And on his descent, he became in dire need of oxygen. He radioed back his predicament to the base camp, telling them that, that he had come across a cache of, of, of oxygen. But they, but they were all empty. And those who had already passed by the canisters on their return within the guidelines from the summit knew that they were not empty, but in fact full. And they pleaded with him, no, they're full. Breathe it in. No, therefore, he's like, no, they're empty because he had become so disoriented that the very thing that he needed was right in his hand, but he refused to take it. And idolatry does that. Our own religious system does that. It disorients us sometimes so that the very thing that we need is the Word of God, but we don't take of it. Or sin does that. We get so disoriented. We get mad at God. We blame others. We get bitter. We get angry. And maybe that's rightfully so. But the whole time, the answer is right in our hand. It's the Word of God. And if we would take the Word of God and breathe it in, we would have life. But we don't. We don't. And the people of Dan, because of their religious system, all the time, Shiloh was nearby. And they never took of it. Never partook of it. And they led the nation in idolatry. <clears throat> I, our battle, should you choose to accept it, is to fight for the distinctions of God in the home, in ministry, in society. To stand up and say, no, that's not right. And here's why. I will say that even though Dan led Israel into idolatry, in Ezekiel chapter 48, in what many scholars believe is the millennial kingdom of God, the tribe of Dan is the first tribe mentioned. I think that's just the grace of God. That's what I think that is. I want to leave you with something that I began with. There's a DVD out. It's called In His Image. American Family Studios, delighting in God's plan for gender and sexuality. This is a very well done, very thoughtful very graceful, but yet truthful explanation from people who have come out of homosexuality and transgenderism and have found Jesus Christ and have found faith and are celebrating the image of God that he has created them to be, not what they do to gender confusion, due to who knows what, a, a myriad of things that can go wrong. And I would encourage you, if you've not gotten a free copy of this, and I think you can go to their website, American Family Studios, and get it. 
watch it, and let this give you some passion and compassion in this particular case to help those that are struggling and to talk to those who with religious fervor are trying to redefine what it means to be male or female. This is a story of the grace of God. And nobody can argue with these people because they've been there and they've been won out by love. May I suggest that all of us take some time this week and that we put away any foreign gods that we may have, any foreign belief systems, any presuppositions or things that we believe um, about God that may not be true. Um, And then may we serve the Lord. Put away our foreign gods, serve the Lord, And let's see what he'll do. Let's see what he'll do. Father, in Jesus' name, we are thankful for your word today, your grace. God, may it be poured out. Lord, may we we take heed to the warnings. We can read about a people who create idols and worship idols and not think twice about the own idols that we may have in our own life. And so, Holy Spirit, would you do that work? And would you empower us to speak the truth in love? And I guess the question is, will we ask and will we speak? May we do both as we follow your lead. Lord, I pray for anybody watching this or listening in, God, that if they are not followers of you, Lord, you know that. And that you would draw them out of systems, worldviews, beliefs that are not true. And confirm that, God, in their hearts. Because what you do, Lord, you do it every day. And we thank you for it. We thank you for your grace. In the name of Jesus. Amen.